You are listening to Elders of Sankofa with host the Elder. Elders of Sankofa radio broadcast is an affiliate of the Black Reality Think Tank, which operates on the timeforawakening.com radio platform. Reach out to them at Sankofa underscore think and out.com. All of our programs are archived. Just go to www.timeforawakening.com, access the search portal, and type in the name of the program you desire to review. Finley Medical Clinic. We serve uninsured, underinsured, and insured individuals. Open Monday through Thursday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Urgent Care Clinic Friday and Saturday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Call for an appointment at 414-988-3079. Finley Medical Clinic is accepting new patients. Vaccines and screenings for uninsured, underinsured, and insured. Located at 10721 West Capitol Drive, Suite 110. Call our office for an appointment today at 
We're poor, Ashe. We're poor to the creative spirit, the great Ashe out of which we all emerge, Ashe. We pour to that creative spirit by whatever name we know it, whatever name you hold in your heart, in your mind, whatever name your ancestors gave, whatever name you learned as a child, whatever name you believe it to be, whatever name you believe it to be in spirit or in science, Ashe. We pour to the first human beings who came into existence on this planet, the first human beings who raised the first structures, who cooked the first meals, who taught the first children, who had the first children, the first Africans, the first people who stood upright, who walked, who figured out how to stay on this planet, who figured out how to pass that knowledge on to their children and their children's children, the mothers and fathers of civilization, Ashe. We pour the next libation to their grandchildren and their children's children, those who raised the great early civilizations of Kemet and Kush and Monomotapa, the great medieval civilizations of Ghana and Mali and Songhai and Kanem-Bornu. We pour to those who great the great civilizations of the Igbo people and the Hausa people and the Kikongo people and the Mamara people, the great Monday civilizations, the great Kikongo, the great civilizations of Southern Africa, the Bantu people, the great civilizations of Southeast Africa, the Dinka, the Shilla, the Nur. We pour to those millions who raised the foundations from which the world would learn what it meant to be human in the world, Ashe. We pour to their children who upon the arrival on the shores of people they had never seen before, found themselves captured and marched overland, found themselves perishing by the millions before they were held on the holding cells and the open air pens on the coast of West, Central, Southern, and East Africa. We pour to the ancestors who did not know as they were stripped of all clothing and sent denuded into boats, packed like animals, and strewn their bones across the floor of the Atlantic and the Indian Ocean. We pour to them who in the last moment on Africa grabbed the sand and grabbed the dirt and put it in their mouths and understood that the only thing they might have to preserve their place in that continent was their memory of that place and their ability to pass it on to their children. We pour to them. Ashe. Ashe. We pour to those Africans and their children who finding themselves cast adrift in Santiago, Cuba, who found themselves cast adrift. In Puerto Spain, Trinidad, in Puerto Prince, Haiti, who found themselves cast adrift in New Orleans, in Charleston, and Mobile, who found themselves cast adrift in 
Salvador Bahia, who found themselves cast adrift in Barbados and the archipelago that formed the wayward and the, and the windward coast. We found them in these places learning Portuguese and Spanish and French, whose often first words was, oh my God, oh Madre de Dios, who found themselves praying to survive and pass on to their children the memories we pour to those ancestors who are represented in the thousands buried in all the square miles of where we stand and who sit here buried before us in 400 caskets forged of wood from West Africa with the Dinkra symbols. Each one of them, each woman, man, and child symbolic of millions. The children of those who could not be killed, we pour our shame. We pour to their children who somehow survived the hells of enslavement and fought for emancipation in the Caribbean, the French, British, Dutch Caribbean, who fought for emancipation in South America, who fought for emancipation in Central America, who fought the struggles we refer to as the Civil War in the United States, who came out of that, marched out of enslavement through Reconstruction and found themselves making great migrations, eventually ending up in places like New York. Their children's children, who making a way for themselves, became our great-great-grandparents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, our parents. Those who, when the first bones were discovered in this space, held their hands and said, Stop! No more! We are here to speak for those who can no longer speak with their mouths. We pour for those ancestors, some of whom came to Howard University in 2004 and followed these caskets all the way back to New York, we pray to the great ancestors, the ones whose names we know and the ones whose names we don't. And at this moment, as we pour this libation, I would ask anyone who feels comfortable to say the name of someone in your bloodline who is no longer physically here, but who you know made it possible for you to be here. Go ahead, let's hear the names. Haywood Carr, Porter Griffin, Evelyn Glover. We pour to the names that we hold collectively. Ganga Zumba in Brazil. Toussaint Louverture, Jean-Jacques Dessalines, and Henri Christophe in Haiti. We pour to the great Avengers, Nandi of the Maroons of Jamaica. We pour to the great ancestors, Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, Frederick Douglass. Say the names that you study. Who are the names of the ancestors that you have come to hold in your heart and your mind as you hope that you can do what they did for us, for your children and children's children? Let's say some of those famous names. Kwame Kareem, John Henry Clark, John Dr. Jackson, Muhammad. Jacob Carruthers. And finally, two final libations. We pour to those who make it possible for us to do what we do. We pour to these rangers who stand guardian over this sacred space. We pour to these Africans and these folks who have come from Howard University, the staff, the faculty, the administrators who brought us here today to bear witness. This is not a libation, but an affirmation because their hearts still beat, their tongues still speak, their minds still think, and their minds still wish the best for us. We pour for all of those people who surrounded us on this journey today and made it possible for us to be here. We pour this affirmation of thanks, Ashe. Ashe. And finally, we pour to your children's children's children who will one day stand on this fate and speak your name. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, 
history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child.
are listening to the Sankofa Council of Milwaukee Radio Broadcast, where their host is Dr. Janine Gaines, Sister Ipua Ma'at, Sister Osati Anti, Brother Kwasi Kran, and Brother Kojo Robinson. The Sankofa Council of Milwaukee Radio Broadcast is an affiliate of the Black Reality Think Tank Network, and it broadcasts on the Time for an Awakening radio platform. Contact them at Sankofa Council MKE at gmail.com. I repeat, Sankofa Council MKE at gmail.com. Good evening to our listening audience and to Sankofa Council of Milwaukee. We're going to have another great conversation this evening, and we're going to be talking about disparities within the criminal justice system. This will be part three of our series on disparities, racial disparities. And we have an outstanding guest who knows the system and how the systemic and structural impacts black people, especially in Milwaukee, Aaron Gray will be our guest. And we have another guest who may be coming in a little late, a gentleman by the name of Tony Moore, who has transcended and superseded the criminal justice system. And uh, we'd like to hear from them and gain some insight because what we really want to do is transform that system. We don't want to fix it. We don't want to change anything. We want to transform it. And one way we can do that is to have a conversation and get input from our guests and our listening audience. So at this time, we're going to look at our purpose, the purpose of Sankofa, which means that we're going to go back and retrieve that which is possibly at risk. We have ancient principles, African uh, Afrocentric principles and legacies that we don't even know we don't know. And one of the things, one, one of the purposes of Sankofa is to recognize that which is at risk of being lost. And at this time, Mama Aserta Ankti will talk a little more about the purpose of Sankofa. Good evening, um, Brother Kodwo. Um, the purpose of the Sankofa Council is to use African principles of unity and cooperation to create a healing environment in our community. And one of the ways that we do that is providing this um, broadcast, providing um, communication and information to the community, 
to help in the healing processes uh, through information. Thank you. So at this time, I don't know if, if um, Tony Moore's with this, but I do know our good brother Terrence Ray is with us. Are you with us, Terrence? Hotep. Yes, I am, my brother. How you doing? Okay, Hotep. Hotep. Yeah, we, we, want, Go ahead. We, want to, we want to start off this conversation by giving you a, a brief introduction. Now, you have a lot of experience in with the criminal justice system, and you've done an awful lot of work with fatherhood initiative programs. And, and I believe that uh, you've done a lot of research and, and program uh, production in many areas. You're a consultant in, uh, in the area of criminal justice. Is that right? You, and you attended MATC, the, uh, the Milwaukee Area Technical College. You graduated from there with, with a degree and also the uh, University of Wisconsin at Green Bay. Is that true? Yes. And All yeah, right. and and the interesting thing about my education uh, at the at UWGB, it actually was uh, gained while I was confined <laughs> at the prison in Green Bay. Yeah, man. Wow. Uh, yeah. So you yeah, took advantage was, of your time there. Yes, I did. Yes, mm-hmm. I did. And and it was a real uh, awakening for me. You know, I mean, I've always believed I was intelligent you know it was a sort of an an innate thing but what I found being confined was that I really loved learning you know and that opportunity to uh uh slow myself down if you will and be still for a minute you know that's when I I really realized that I actually loved learning new things and applying those things that I learned. And I was actually reading uh, words out of the dictionary before I even knew Malcolm had done that, you know. And imagine my uh, delight when I found out that I was actually doing something that Malcolm had done. You know, I always tell a funny, (laughs) I tell a funny story about my mom, you know, uh, you know, when I, I, I used to write letters home and I would take 10 new words per day out of the dictionary and use them in letters and around the yard and in the institution. I remember my mother saying, boy, if you don't stop sending these letters with these big old words, in <laughs> that let me know that I was, I was on track, man. And I, I just love playing with words and Spellbinding, if you will, people with words. So yeah, I love. I found out that I, I had a love for learning while I was incarcerated. You know, I don't know if I've told you that um, before, but I always admired you for your 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 spoken presence. You know, you used to be on. I think it was twelve ninety one of the shows, and I used to admire how you presented yourself. Uh, verbally and your and your voice. I mean, you just have the natural qualities for um, for radio voice 
And then you were so articulate. And I didn't I had no idea that, you know, you were you were confined and that's how you were able to to uh, gain those kind of skills. Yeah. Like Malcolm did. Malcolm talks about being disciplined. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. About it, that. it it makes you, I mean, you know, being confined where you got folks telling you, uh, you know, when to go to sleep, when to wake up, all that stuff that you hear about is, in fact, real. And, um, you know, uh, I experienced that very early on, too, man. And um, I think, quite honestly, you know, I think that's why I'm a little mellow and laid back now uh you know i went through that in the early 80s quite frankly you talk about the you know school to prison pipeline i went uh right after high school i, I was supposed to be class of 79 and i went in in 1980 man right out of high school wow Mm -hmm. So it's, it's mind-boggling how at a time in our history when crime was going down significantly, the incarceration rates were going sky high. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I believe that that began under Reagan, not Reagan, under Nixon. I think that's when it began. Yes, Nixon and, and, and Reagan... Uh, and even Clinton, <laughs> you know, kept the kept the trend kept the trend going, man, as it relates to black men. Yeah, yeah, because he said he wasn't gonna let nobody be harder on crime than him. Mm -hmm. And at that time, that got him elected. Yeah, it did. It did. And 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 I was listening to the intro, and uh, I can't recall who it was that made the comment about. Uh, you know, my experience and, and, and looking at the disparities, racial disparities with respect, and particularly with respect to Milwaukee. Actually, there uh, there was a study done, man. I can't remember. Uh, it, it's got to be at least 25 years old. But the, interest, the, the part that I find interesting about it is that, you know, it's still being quoted now. And I think a lot of people... I, I would have to dig to find it, but I know when I first read it, I kept it. Uh, um, but a lot of people make reference to it now because it talks about how Wisconsin, and particularly in, in, in Milwaukee, the city of Milwaukee, it was the worst place in America to raise uh, black men, black families, and particularly black men. But the interesting part about the study was that it was actually based on uh, uh, incarceration rate. It was a black think tank uh, that actually did the study, and based on the incarceration rate, it was found that uh, the city of Milwaukee was the worst place in America to raise black people, and it, and and it led how we lead the nation in negative social indicators that gauge quality of life for black people, and that was sort of the premise for it, and. You know, I just find it interesting how people still make reference to the study, and uh, you never really hear anybody talk about, you know, the the origin of the study and how it was actually based on incarceration rates, and and which is one of the areas that we lead the nation in. Right. So not only do the inter incarceration have a 
have a tremendous impact on individuals, but then you have the, un- the unintended consequences of incarceration, which has an impact on families and communities. Before yeah. we, let, let, let's get into this subject a little deeper, and, and before we do that, let's hear from um, Sister Asurta Ankti about our ancestral profile. That's one of the things that we do in our broadcast. We always bring up one of the ancestors to profile. Sister Auntie, I should have done that a little earlier. Are you are you available for that? Yeah, thank you. Um, and good evening to you, um, Brother Kojo and Sister Abua, my Ma'at, our guests, and the uh, listening audience. Um, our ancestral profile this evening is Johnny Cochran. Hmm. Johnny Cochran Lee Johnny Lee Cochran Jr. was born October the second, nineteen thirty-seven, in Shreveport, Louisiana. His father, Johnny Cochran Sr., was an insurance salesman, and his mother sold Avon products. The family relocated to the West Coast during the second wave of the Great Migration, settling in. Los Angeles in 1949. Conker went to local schools and graduated first in his class from Los Angeles High School in 1955. He earned a Bachelor of Arts degree in Business Economics from the University of California, Los Angeles in 1959 and a Juris Doctorate from the Loyola Law School in 1962. He was a member of the Kappa Alpha Phi Psi fraternity and the fraternity's 45th Laurel Reese Laureate. Inspired by Thurgood Marshall and the legal victory that Marshall won in the Brown versus Board of Education, Hopper decided to dedicate his life to practicing law. Cochran felt his career was a calling, a double opportunity to work for what he considered to be right and to challenge what he considered wrong. He could make a difference by practicing law. In a law life, Cochran wrote, quote, I read every I read everything that I could to find out about Thurgood Marshall and confirmed that a single dedicated man could use the law to change society. Despite setbacks as a lawyer, Cochran vowed not to cease what he was doing, saying, quote, I made this commitment and I must fulfill it. After passing the California bar exam in 1963, Cochran took a position in Los Angeles as a deputy city attorney in the criminal division. Two years later, Cochran entered private practice and soon after that, he opened his own firm, Cochran, Atkins, and Evans in Los Angeles. In his first notable case, Cochran represented an African-American widow who sued several police officers who had shot and killed her husband, Leonard Deadwood-Weiler. Though Cochran lost the case, it became a turning point in his career. Rather than seeing the case as a defeat, Cochran realized 
the trial itself had awakened the black community. In reference to the loss, Cochran wrote in the American Lawyer, quote, those were extremely difficult cases to win in those days. But the Deadweiler confirmed for me that this issue of police abuse really galvanized the minority community. It's, it taught me that these cases could really get attention. By the late 1970s, Cochran had established his reputation in the black community. He was litigating a number of high-profile police brutality and criminal cases. In 1978, Cochran returned to Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office in a leadership position of first assistant district attorney. Though he took a pay cut to do so, joining the government was his way of becoming one of the good guys, one of the very top rungs. He began to strengthen his ties with the political community after his image and work from within and, and work from within to change the system. Five years later, Cochran returned to private practice, reinventing himself as the best in the West by opening the Johnny L. Cochran Jr. Law Firm. In contrast to his early loss in the Deadweiler case, Cochran won $760,000 for a family of Ron Settles a black college football player who his family claimed was murdered by the police. Currently, the Cochran firm has grown to have regional offices located in 15 states. Cochran is best known for his leadership role in the defense and criminal acquittal of O.J. Simpson for the murder of his ex-wife, Nicole Simpson, and her friend, Ron Goldman. He also represented Sean Cone, Michael Jackson, Tupac Shakur, Stanley Kuki Williams, Todd Bridges, football player Jim Brown, Snoop Dogg, former heavyweight champion Riddick Bowe, 1992 Los Angeles riot beating victim Reginald Oliver Denny, and inmate and activist Geronimo Pratt. He represented athlete Marion Jones when she faced charges of doping during her high school track career. Due to his success as a lawyer, Concrete could encourage settlement simply by his presence on the case. According to Reverend Jesse Jackson, a call to Johnny Cochran made, quote, corporations and violators shake, unquote. His practice as a lawyer earned him great wealth. Cochran had achieved a, a reputation as a go-to lawyer for the rich, as well as a successful advocate for minorities in police brutality and civil rights cases. In December 2003, Cochran was diagnosed with brain tumor. He died from the brain tumor on March 29, 2005. At his home, he shared with his wife and father in Los Angeles at the age of 67. Johnny Lee Cochran, Jr. Many accolades follow this man, all due to his commitment to fight for what was right and challenge what was wrong. He made a difference by practicing law. 
being a legendary example and a winner of justice. May he rest in peace. Now, as we return to this evening's broadcast, if you have a comment or question that you want to share, please email us at sankofacouncilmke at gmail.com. And now, please mute your phone. If you are on the call-in line, our speakers are very sensitive and pick up all background noises, talking, and the like. Mute now, and please be sure to unmute when it's your turn to talk. Thank you so much. Back to the exciting topic this evening, uh, Brother Kojo. Thank you, Sister Ante. That was very appropriate. That ancestral profile was so appropriate for the discussion that we're having right now. And I was just wondering, what, what were your impressions? Did, did you learn anything when you put that together? I know I just I, I just know a lot of the details that you mentioned about Dr. I mean about um, Johnny Cochran. He graduated number one in his class. Yes, um, he was wow. dedicated. He, he was his, dedicated. His, his life his life career. He dedicated his life to um, you know he made money doing what his helping the community and he became very famous doing that well so he was passionate he was compassionate and and he had a vision for how he could use his law degree to make a difference yes and of course we all know that he did well getting back to um, brother terrence you know we were talking about how the uh incarceration of black men and, and how Wisconsin is unique in um, being the state that in, incarcerates more black men than any other state in the, in the country. And But not only are these black men and now uh, even black women are being, you know, there's an increase in incarceration of black women now as well. But not only are the individuals impacted by having their liberty and freedom taken away but think about their children and you know the, the unintended consequences of incarceration that impacts not only the family but the community as a whole and you were, before we had our ancestral profile you were mentioning about uh you were mentioning a study that was done that you were saying that's still appropriate now you read it many years ago yeah, it was it, it study that I uh, uh, I found uh, from Black Think Tank, and they were just looking at incarceration rates. Oh, before I continue, I, I want to agree with you that I think the uh, ancestral profile of Johnny Cochran was so appropriate for this subject matter. So yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. And yeah, the study was done some time ago. I, 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 it's almost 25, maybe 30 years old. And um, it, it looked at incarceration rates of uh, states around the United States. And it identified Wisconsin and in particular the city of Milwaukee, you know, based on the rate of incarceration of black folks here as and it, it and it ended up identifying this as the worst place in America uh, 
to raise black folks because it looked at, you know, we, if we led the nation in negative social indicators that gauge quality of life uh, for folks, you know, things like uh, uh, graduation rates and, and health care rates, access to health care, those kinds of things. And, and again, it, we led the nation and we consistently lead the nation. And, and, and to your point about the residual effect, man, I mean, you know, um, I, I was looking at or talking to someone about the uh, uh, mayoral races that we've had and are currently in now. And the um, previous mayor uh, had been uh, mayor for 16 years and had gotten elected to another four-year term prior to his appointment to uh, become the, uh, uh, what was he, uh, to, uh, to Lex Luxembourg, the ambassador to Luxembourg. He had been mayor for 16 years and had gotten uh, uh, reelected to become mayor for, if he had stayed in the position, if he had fulfilled his full term, he would have been mayor for 20 years. And it just dawned on me, you know, he was mayor during, I mean, for almost a 20-year term during most of that time where that study was making reference to. And it just boggled my mind how, you know, people weren't paying attention to that and had given this, given this man another, another term. And, and quite frankly, let me be candid, I actually worked for him, uh, Tom Baird, when he served in the U.S. Congress. He served in Congress for 10 years and five of those years I was a congressional aide for him in his district office but the residual effects are just uh, amazing man because I personally had no generations of men black men who sons I mean where the son father and now the grandson were incarcerated in, in, in the Department of Corrections here in Wisconsin wow um, well, you know, James Baldwin says, I know you've heard this quote, not everything that is faith can be changed, but nothing can be changed can be ch yeah. until it's faith. Yeah. Until right. it's faith. Correct. Correct. Now, Correct. when I grew up in, in 53206, and, and most of that time, I wasn't aware, especially when I was a youth that Milwaukee was that unique in terms of incarcerating black men. But that zip code, 53206, is distinguished as the most incarcerated zip code in America. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it I is. just I, I, I no I, I was I was actually you know, with 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 the with the uh, social conditions we're dealing with today, I I, I did a little bit of uh, kind of looking back through history, and I don't know if you remember the uh, I think it was in '02. I have to get my my notes out, but the Charlie Young case. It was a beating where a group of young brothers. And it actually started out harmless, where they throw either some rocks or an egg at this this older guy and um he ended up catching one of the young kids who uh I they're all everybody that. i remember that yeah everybody was black yeah and he ended up 
you know, taking matters into his own hand and, and punched one of the young brothers in the mouth, and they went back and got their crew. And, you know, what I found interesting about rereading the story, particularly in light of what we're talking about now, there were several of the young men who, uh, where they interviewed the family and found out that the fathers uh, were incarcerated and there were no fathers in their lives. And it was their fathers and brothers had been, uh, were currently incarcerated at the time of the beating of Charlie Young. And it just, it blew me away to reread that story again. And then, you know, here we are talking about the residual impact of, of, of incarceration, man. You know, there's one fact that um, everybody I share this fact with don't believe me. And that is, in the state of Wisconsin, based on a 2010 census report, that teenagers uh, between the age, I think, uh, 12 and 18, only 7% actually live with their biological parents. So only 7% live in a traditional family setting. Yeah, yeah. 7% now. <laughs> that's, the lowest, yeah. Yeah. that's the lowest in the country. The highest in the country is 23% for that age group, the black family. And that's still low, 23%. And so that implies that the man, well, it's, doesn't imply it, it indicates that the man is in his presence in the home. And if you look at the um, the fatherhood facts, indicates that when when there's a father in the home, most of those negative statistics go away. Oh, you know, they, they sure, go away. I mean, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, from my work in that area, man, I mean, those are that that you know, I basically I basically sleep with, man, and um, you know, it it it's a generational thing. Man. I mean, we can talk about you know the historical impact. I mean, all the way back to slavery and the intentional, uh, the intentional effort to. You know, uh, I, and I don't want to sound corny, but I can't think of anything else right now. The intentional uh, attempts to keep black men, you know, in servitude, if you will, man. Well, and, and I mean, the, the future of slave act, the future of slave exactly of seventeen ninety three. You know, and then that black code, the black code began in the eighteen sixties. After, you know, we, we got our quote-unquote freedom. And then you had the 13th Amendment, which says right. that uh, we're free unless what? You're in prison or in, in jail. Unless, unless you've been convicted. Unless convicted of a crime. Right, right, right. So right. And you know, when you, bring up. Up the, when you bring up the, uh, the Fugitive Act, when I first learned that, I actually went and did uh, some lightweight research and saw the badges that the slave catchers, you know, were carrying around, and it had the star on it, man. And it just really it blew me away. And and that was at a very early age, young age. And from that point on, I had had some personal issues with, you know, police badges, man. And and just had a different kind of 
uh, respect, if you will, for law enforcement, man. And I, I just want to say here now, uh, you know, my life experiences, most of my knowledge, if you will, is, you know, it's just, it's empirical from, you know, my life experiences. You mentioned earlier that I, I, I did, when I got out of, when I got out of, um, when I returned home from incarceration, I walked out the penitentiary doors and walked over to Milwaukee Area Technical College, obtained my uh, associate degree in marketing management, and then went on to UWM and, you know, started my undergrad, but, you know, life got in the way and had a family and never finished. And, um, uh, you know, but again, I, I, I just wanted to make the point that it's not like and I and I'm not I'm not complaining about it. I just like to be clear. I'm not coming to the table with a whole bunch of credentials other than my experiences in life. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know the the, the title of our our discussion tonight is transforming the criminal justice system. We don't wanna fix nothing. We don't want to right. change right. we wanna modify <laughs> the criminal justice system. We want to have it, uh, we want to replace it, right? Yes, yes. So as, yes. as we speak about, you know, this subject, the, the, uh, the disparities within the criminal justice system, and we look at, first of all, we have to look at it as a system. Right. You know, we have to look right. at it, it's, it's, it's systemic and it's structural. You know, in our promotion, we talked about a bird cage has a series of wires, doesn't it? Right. And, and each one of those wires has the um, intention to encapture whatever's inside that cage. Exactly. exactly. And if you stand up, if you, if you stand back, you'll see this structure as a cage. But if you come closer and look at the series of wires, then you'll be able to see each wire which has a specific purpose and how that purpose keeps that situation, keeps that status quo. Hey, hey, that's so, hey, I'm, I'm visualizing the cage that you're describing, Charles, and, you know, I've always told you, I, I'm, I'm an optimist and I look at the glass half full, and I was, as I was visualizing your description of the cage, and I understand each you know, each uh, wire has a specific purpose, but I also see, you know, the wires, the spaces, and the opportunity to get out of the cage, if you will. <laughs> you know, and how we wow. have to recognize those, how we have to recognize those opportunities and take advantage of them. You know, and I, and I think I did that. Uh, now, don't get me wrong; it took me two attempts. <laughs> to uh, recognize the opportunity because I was incarcerated twice and I have been home this time since May of 1990 and uh, when I left when you had said earlier yeah I took advantage of the opportunity uh, when I left uh, I the Pell Grant um, when I left I was typing 90 words a minute with 80% accuracy you know, every class, every time I could be out of my cell, I was out trying to do something, even if it was just going to talk to the therapist or the psychiatrist. 
you know, to get an extra phone call. You know, I manipulated the system to just, you know, not be a cage the bird, if you will. So if we look at the definition of systemic, you know, we talk about these, these disparities that we, you know, uh, experience, whether it's education, whether it's income, whether it's housing, whether it's the criminal justice system, we use the word systemic. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, before I really looked at what that means, you know, I was like, well, what do you mean by systemic? Well, when I went to the dictionary, it says practices or attitudes that have, whether by design or impact, mm-hmm. the effect of limiting an individual or a group's right to the opportunity generally available because of attributed rather than actual characteristics. So, evidently, the system has attributed some attributes to us which are not accurate and also deprives us of opportunities that other people have. Correct. 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 So that, that uh, sounds like racism, right? That's that's what racism is. Yeah, it, 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 it also it also sounded like a definition of Milwaukee too, man. Yeah, Charles. <laughs> Charles. Uh, hi, I'm sorry I got it late. I've, I've been in a board meeting with, um, with my church, um, and I wanted to try to get there, but you know, we talk we talk about uh, this thing against uh, black fathers and. Uh, well, hold on, hold on. Hell, hell, the gang's all here. This is Brother Tony uh, Moore. Yes, sir. The other guest who who, who came, just came in a little late, and evidently you were you were with the conversation, but I didn't know that you were here. Yes, I've been here. I've been I've been here for for, for about ten minutes listening. Oh and, wow! I didn't. Yeah. I didn't, you should have said something, man. Well, thank you. Well, yeah, yeah I, um, and I go ahead. I just wanted to share as a five-time convicted felon and the whole, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah about that is, you know, a lot of what we forget about why the system, and I'm a businessman too, and I have put in processes duplicating some of the, the acts of what we're under the Constitution of the United States, the government has designed specifically mm-hmm. For this mm. institution to run successfully, this system runs without the lights ever being turned off. Nobody turns them on or off, and it runs automatically. It has put, been put in place since, since the emancipation when what we're going to do with these people now that they're free, vagabond, uh, variants, uh, and all of those things, all these black folks that got locked in, Became, this whole system is set up on that plantation, plantation corporate entity. And nobody has ever addressed the whole uh, prison transformation through the plantation dismantlement. The plantation yeah. never was That's dismantled. Yeah, great point. Yeah. Got it. So unless we face what's really there, you, what I'm hearing you say implicit in what you said we can't transform the system unless we recognize it for what it is. Yes. Yes. Everybody calls the system as a as a uh, a casualty of 
slavery. So, okay, if it's a casual slave, it, the whole system needs to be dismantled. Yes. Right, right. It's set up right. on abuse. The system is set up right. on abuse of someone. Right. Oppression. Right. So it calls racism. It calls systemic racism. If you oppress anyone in any circumstances, you're going to put in racism because you're going to be now over them, which they've got to answer to you from a lower peasant standpoint to ever be considered a, a full citizen. We're not even considered full citizens. Right. Right. I hear you right. talking. Gentlemen, you are doing a wonderful job, and but we've got to go to the top of the hour announcements, and we're going to come back right after that. we got to pay some bills, gentlemen. Okay. All right. Okay. We'll be right back.
Finley Medical Clinic. We serve uninsured, underinsured, and insured individuals. Open Monday through Thursday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Urgent Care Clinic Friday and Saturday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Call for an appointment at 414-988-3079. Finley Medical Clinic is accepting new patients. Vaccines and screenings for uninsured, underinsured, and insured. Located at 10721 West Capitol Drive, Suite 110. Call our office for an appointment today at 414-988. Sankofa Council of Milwaukee Radio Broadcast is an affiliate of the Black Reality Think Tank Network and it broadcasts on the Time for an Awakening Radio Platform. Contact them at Sankofa Council MKE at gmail.com. I repeat, Sankofa Council MKE at gmail.com. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Sister Four is with us as well. Sister Four, are you there? I am. Um, greetings, everyone. Yes, I'm glad Hi. to have you involved in this conversation. Um, one thing as I was listening to um, T. Ray, um, it made me think about, um, from a statistical standpoint, of um, how our males are using, losing their youth to incarceration. Um, the highest rate um, of black males, the ages are from 20 to 34 years old. And for oh. black females, ages is 35 to 39. Wow. wow. That's their no. whole life. Yes. I'm sorry. Yes. yes. I said those are the, those productive years of your life. You yeah. Know? Yes. And, exactly. And then it's like like the brother was saying earlier. You know, it is by design. You know, those productive years to get the most output. You know, from your human capital. You know, you have them incarcerated, and they are producing for the uh, Department of Corrections. I mean, Badger State Industries here in Wisconsin. Yes. You know, a lot of people don't know. They produce they produce retail uh, products that are literally in stores, and, you know, they, they, they compete with, you know, market-rate products, and, you know, the brothers are paid, the brothers are paid, you know, change. 
twenty cent, twenty five cent. I think I think if you one of the those are one of the coveted those are the coveted jobs with Badger State yeah. Industry because I think they go up to like a dollar or two dollars an hour. Yeah. Yeah, they've increased it, but also even um, with the industry, I think of farming. Um, there are farms. Um, right. Some of these institutions are doing farming. You know, so it's it's interesting of um, the work that's being done um, on the backs of um, of like you say that that time to be able to form and develop and create economics and be in school, but there are, are people. Um, are in the prison system. Yeah. Hey, can I give a hey, hey, brother Charles? Let me just add a, yeah, a yeah. anecdotal thing here, man. I, when 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 the sister, sister Patrice mentioned uh, farming, you know, I used to go back into several. Once I was released, I had a contract, and I was going back into some of the institutions that I had actually served time in, and mm-hmm. um, I would explain to the brothers, man, that you know. When the prison, the, the construction of a prison in a neighborhood or community of North, it's like economic development, man. You know, this was typically, this was formerly farmland. And you just juxtapose working on the farm with all of that backbreaking work versus, you know, working in an institution where, you know, you, uh, the job is a little bit different, less strenuous, and you got, Cadillac of health benefits and you know so what would you rather do watch an inmate or wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning or 3 o'clock in the morning and you know grab the eggs or milk Bessie the cow you know and I could see the light bulb go off on a lot of the brothers you know over their heads when they realize just from an economic development I can remember stories about how in Wapon and Green Bay they literally have parades when they knew the prison was coming because it was jobs for the community. And you have third and fourth generation family members working at those institutions. Yes. So what we have And not just generations, but families. I mean, you have the husbands, wives, um, yeah. children um, after graduating high school are um, employed. So, you know, it's, it's a uh, economic system. Um, yes, it is, and and like the brother was saying earlier, it's a it's a system until we acknowledge that. And for me, it was the the, the in addition to my mother administering tough love, it was to me a, a an, an outgrowth of the system that really woke me up. My second uh, stint, if you, my second bit, uh, I was getting released, and a young. 25-year-old white boy said to me, I'll see you when you get back. <laughs> and I was yep. like, oh, hell, no, no, you won't. <laughs> and I haven't been back since, man. Recidivism. Yes, yes, yes. That's exactly it. But but it sets you up. Um, there's a setup for failure as well, as well when you're talking about the recidivism. Um, as we were talking when we were discussing and developing the topic, um, there's so much to uh, talk about. For those that come out, they're not prepared. They you, they don't no. even have a social security card. No, um, no. Some of Especially them. Especially now. 
some of them may have, you know, somewhere to live with a family member, but to have them ready and set to come in and be able to just, as and, and I know, T. Ray, you can talk about this, um, you know, um, based not only on personal experiences, but the men you have walked with of coming in and looking for employment and not being ready and not having a resume, uh, again, not a social security card to be able to go in with identif- uh, a, um, having an ID to identify who they are or even having a state ID. You know, right. I mean, these oh. things should be prepared and ready to go right out the door with them. Yeah. But but, but um, why they tell you to, to prepare your exit plan, you actually don't even have the tool to, in fact, um, do that. And from a systemic standpoint, you know, you just you have to be able to recognize. Uh, we talked about uh, when 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 from Nixon to uh, from, on the national level, from Nixon mm-hmm. to Reagan. I remember Reagan was the president that eliminated Pell grants in the institutions. So the opportunity that I had to go to go to school while I was in there, where the professors from the University of Green Bay would come into the institution, you know, and you know that doesn't happen anymore even now when i left they would at least give you a a hundred dollar gate fee it's my understanding now when brothers lead the joint now you are literally just put back in your community with the stuff that you accumulated over the time that you were incarcerated if you didn't save any money oh well you know yes and it's just an intentional elimination of things that could in fact assist you when you already weren't going to get that much assistance but the few things you were getting those things are gone now to in fact continue recidivism yeah think of this picture think of this picture many of us who went into prison i went in five times from five incarcerations over 18 years right mm-hmm. not 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 many times did anybody other than maybe for an assessment or an intake ever see what my emotional or mental health was as it relates to me doing so much time and then sending me back to a world that I'm still broken and I ain't even fixed from while I did my rehabilitation. Come on, so brother. I come home yes, broken. Sir. Yes, yes, oh, now. yes. Yeah, I, yes. You, 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 you must have heard my thoughts because I was, I was just about to address that. The majority of inmates, I don't have the statistics, but the majority are suffering from mental uh, illness. Yes. And, and yeah. that's, and, you know, when you look at most. And, and of, that's uh, going in, Brother Charles. That's, that's going, going in. in. So we, we born yeah. with trauma. We're already born with trauma in our bodies yeah. after, you know, because it's handed down epigenetically. Yep. Last yep. 400 years of slavery, right? Yep. So Survival in the United States caused mental health. Yes, it does. Come on now. Go ahead. <laughs> Survival in the United States as a black man, for all it's worth, for all it's been, for everything that we have had to deal with, even from the, the separating of us, our families as young men, generationally now, from the 1900s to now, the separation has caused mental health that nobody has ever checked in but told us, Get yourself together. Pull yourself up by the bootstrap. Forget what you think that you have a mental problem. I ain't crazy. I just got an emotional and mental problem because of the struggle. 
Right. right. Have you ever, have you, have anybody ever checked in on a young brother and said, man, I know what you're going through, but we're going to help you through. We understand you're struggling with your thinking and your, your emotions. We know they want you to be a man, but they're not giving you the resources to be a man, but they're telling you that you must be a man. That's you know, about the legislation that just got passed, the anti-lynching law, the immaterial yes. anti-lynching law just got passed earlier this, well, yeah, earlier this, this week. week. Mm-hmm. Right. So if that could happen, just think there's a possibility for the George Floyd uh, Policing Act. You know, there's a yeah. possibility for the Voting Rights Act. There's a possibility for the First Step Act. But in order for that legislation to happen, guess what? We have to become more participatory. Well, yeah. come on, brother Top, brother Top. Man, we just got to the point in this country where, you know, they are outlawing <laughs> the, the nationally. Their legislation is trying to be passed or just passed to outlaw lynching. <laughs> Come on, man. To outlaw putting a rope around somebody's neck and lynching them. They're just, the government is just now getting to that point where they're saying, this, excuse me for about to say, yeah. where, where they're saying it should be, it's outlawed. Right. And lynching doesn't just happen with the noose. Emmett Till wasn't hung by the neck until dead. He was right. lynched. That's a different, yeah. a different form right. of lynching. But, you know, if we look at what needs to happen, because this conversation is going to end, uh, you know, in a few minutes. But we want to we want to look at what would it take to transform this criminal justice system. I say that number one, we got to we got to have uh, legislative advocacy, and we have to become more participatory in the electoral uh, process. We need to have wow. judges. We need to have yes. judges with um, who actually understand the Constitution and who are not just there to do the will of I should call I don't want to get too far corporate America because it's not you have to have you have, uh, Charles mm-hmm. uh, I love you I know I know you mean good in what you're saying but we have to have this conversation more than this time we have to have this conversation and bring brothers to to even want to fight that war that's a war. That's yeah. just not going to fight a legislation. That's a war because we, we, they're going to attack the head of whoever bring that up to recognize that racism, that stimulant racism, that, that plantation spirit, that evil spirit. They're going to kill that brother. They're going to kill some of us. They're not just going to let us come in and change things without casualties. And we have to get to the point where we can accept dying for a cause for some generations that we won't never see. And that's where we lost that, because these brothers don't want to fight like that. That's right. For our future. Because corporate right. America, they, they, they used to be called the plantation, the plant, the planters elite, and then and now they're called corporate, you know, the CEOs. But it goes back to like you were saying earlier, um, about this whole thing is run by economics. It's generated yeah. by economics. Mess with them dollars if you mess with them dollars. You better, better know what you're finna you finna put yourself at risk for. This sounds like they, a they gonna, they gonna come at You may remember the conversation we had many years ago, um, Tony, in, in economics and social change. Was that the course mm-hmm. that we had? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's economics. Yeah, they, they, they will they, they will they will fight for this 
this this this country was built on on, on murder. You think they're gonna stop because we bring up an issue of of, of their wrongdoing? They brought that to this country. They don't they. You have man. We have to. A generation would have to die for a generation to live. That's how that's how far removed this ne- negative evil spirit is, in my opinion. And I don't know it all. I'm just saying from my experience. Now you These know it from the inside out. You know it from the inside out. Both of you brothers know it from the inside out. You're speaking from experience. Yeah. Charles, I will tell you this. I run my business. As a, as a model of what I know they do with their system so that I can run successful business in Kenosha right now. I run three businesses successfully because I understand their concept and I don't use it to oppress, I use it to empower. So you have to get, you have to understand what they do. They just twisted it and made it evil. They twisted it and they don't care about evil. Say a little more about the two communities uh, programs you run in Kenosha, uh, Tony? Well, I, I run um, Birds of a Feather, which is uh, a nonprofit, uh, 5013C, and we, we give those, give service to those who are underinsured or those who just don't want to be insured and those who are out there. We leave them a door open so that they can get mental health and uh, treatment. And if I have to come out my pocket, I just come out my pocket, whatever. Then there's the, the for-profit where I, I work strictly with DOC. I know how they is. I know how they underbid. I know how they try to make you do more work for less money. I know I know their system, so I understand it, and I go the other way. I go through the back door. Spook will sit at the back door. I'm up in here already, so you can't run that garbage to me that you ain't got no money because I know the legislation of how much money was already allocated to our community for these services. So don't tell me... A, you charge you $25 when you give in other folks $85. I need the $85 to do the service and do it properly. And, you know, and, and doing non-profit and for-profit, you got to have a good handle as an ex-offender. I'm an ex-offender. So I got to be real careful. I got to be real careful. They'll come at me if I'm not. So I learned how to be real careful without without losing my blackness, without losing that man in me that says that I'm a black man who made it through this struggle, who can give back to other men, other men, not just of color, other men, and do it freely. If you don't give it to them, I'll give it to them. Could you mention the two books that you you published? I have four books. I got four books. Freedom, I'm behind. Yeah, I, I wrote Freedom, Finding Peace While in the Midst of the Storm, Redeemed, Living in the Knowledge of a Second Chance, the, the promises, the covenants, living in the covenants of God. And the last one I just recently written was uh, My Design Purpose, the Success of the Four P's, using prayer, meditation, um, uh, planning, performance, and patience as the topics throughout the book. Well, I wrote four books that give you the formula of how to deal with this plantation thing that they got us on, especially young black brothers. They're so... They're so angry, they're getting high, they're losing themselves emotionally. Well, they can't fight because now you high. You can't be high dealing with these fools. These fools want blood. Wow. And they want money. So they'll get you high, get you, and now you spend all your money to stay high. So now you Definitely. can't take care of your, you can't take care of the pile of land that you need to go buy or the property you need to go buy to own something to be able to compete in this credit race, economic race, because we, 
we we lost trying trying, trying to deal with the, the the mental health issues of it. Now, and you're also um, an adjunct professor too. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. At I do that at Gateway. Yeah, okay. Gateway. I do the counseling at Gateway. I uh, got two master degrees. You know, I got a master degree. If that's what they want you to have. I got master degree in mental health, and I got a master degree in management, organization, and leadership from Springfield College. You know, and, and I got so many accreditations, which they help in in having titles for for white folks, but. Black folks don't care about no title. Just give me something that's going to help me. Now, after doing all of that, you are an overachiever. You know that. But after doing, accomplishing all of that, you still find time to coach a professional basketball team. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> and my greatest accomplishment, Doc, was this. They gave, they gave an ex-offender like me the national award here in my city for Black History Month and put me at the museum where I'll be displayed forever after all I've been through. <laughs> I, I said, God is so good. You know, for me, that wow. they would acknowledge me on the Black History Month as a black influencer in my community and, and give me that recognition for life, living legend. I said, wow. But, uh, you know, and I know I'm just one brother, but I know all, every brother can accomplish that if they just if they just don't get caught up in the web of what they try to do. From Milwaukee to, especially Milwaukee, you, you need brothers in Milwaukee to start believing in themselves. They right. caught up in the system and believe that they, they can't become nothing. Exactly, exactly. That, that system got them twisted. That, yeah. Nobody's giving them the hope. They're not allowing nobody to give them the hope, I should say. Because there's brothers there that will reach out. Yeah, that that's so true, man. You know, and, and, and for me, it's like the, 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 the frustrating part to that point, to continue that point on, you know, that nobody's giving them hope. It, it's like the brothers who look like them ain't even giving them hope, man. Right. And that's <laughs> why I'm do, that's why I do what I do. And, um, you know, like the brother said before, you know, they will fight and kill to protect that system. And, you know, I, I, I believe I was a victim of that once, you know, which is why, partly why I'm not the head of the fatherhood initiative anymore, you know, mm -hmm. but it mm -hmm. actually was a, was a lesson well learned because, you know, I tell people all the time, and I think I just told you this, Charles, over the day, there's three things I know how to do better than anybody on the planet, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm ten toes down with that. And that's fatherhood, bringing black men together, and saying that H-E-L-L -L out the penitentiary. And those things, yeah. those, that's the lane, <laughs> those are the lanes I stay in. And, you know, I can provide hope in those three areas, you know, that, that's what my purpose is. And, and, well, you know, uh, we couldn't you know, could have, you know, two better guests than uh, the two of you to be on with us right now. I still agree. And, and you know, there's a Karen Hunter. I, I don't know if you guys have XM Radio, but Joe Madison, um, uh, the Black Eagle. You, you may have heard of him. He he has a talk show and in uh, Urban View, and his female counterpart. She takes no. Joe takes no prisoners in, and she doesn't either. 
Karen Hunter made a statement one time. We were talking about this issue. I was listening on the radio. And she made a statement. She said, black men can supersede the system. You know, it was poetic and it had alliteration, but it was one of the most powerful things I had heard in a while. And I didn't even have to write it down. I heard this statement made about a year ago. Black men can supersede the system. And you guys are evidence that black men can supersede the system. I so say, I so agree. I so agree with that. Um, I, I was just thinking the same thing as the word, um, that four-letter word of hope. Um, I think you guys passed uh, that. You didn't just hope. You actually put all that into action. And you're a testimony to as to where you are, you um, both of you are now, and and the, the you can tell the passion and the drive that you have to bring others along. Um, each one, teach one, and yeah. uh, it sounds like that's definitely what you're doing. I'm glad I've had the opportunity to hear um, Brother Tony speak, um, and and I look forward to um, further dialogue um, regarding this topic and the passion that he has. And, and I have to echo, I have to, um, I certainly echo um, uh, what was just said, um, because just to know that this brother is, um, uh, with Sister Ifu said, I, I, this, this brother is here in the state and I don't know him, <laughs> you know, so I, I mean, I mean, he's actually, like he just said, he's actually giving me you know, some additional hope to continue on, man, and to know that, you know, that kind of that kind of strength is right here in the state. I mean, I know there are other brothers that I've worked with, but I'm meeting a new brother with that level of passion, and, um, you know, I definitely intend on reaching out. Yes. Please, I, I do, too. I, I, I would love to, love to. Me and Charles go back a lot of, a lot of years. He was one of my great, greater professors who let me developed this and I once I seen because I had a I had a professor at Springfield tell me that there's not a lot of money in healthcare. And I said, What do you mean there's not a lot of money in healthcare? They got they got all these white places they've got open, Hazleton and all these places, these people making money. What are you talking about this? Well, there and I said, No, there's a lot we just need to own different stuff. Yeah. We need to partnership and own and collaborate and own stuff. Get land. Quit, quit giving it away once we make a couple moves now we sell our land back to the white folks after the business get going I ain't telling you nothing that is so true pass yeah. it on pass yeah, it on I'm telling it to another okay. man black man to pass it on right right yeah. right right yeah. Well, look, um, I, 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 I hate to, I hate to do this, but I think I mentioned earlier, I, I wouldn't be able to stay for the whole one, but I get, I definitely want to reach out to you, my brother, and I work with, uh, Charles to make it happen. And yes, it was sir. my pleasure to provide whatever insight I was able to. And anytime I can, you know, I'm only a phone call away. Thank you. One fucking thing before you go. Now, this, this brother, Tony. Like I said, he's a professional basketball coach. He has sent a lot of guys overseas, some of them probably even, uh, I, I can't remember who made it into the NBA, but um, that's another thing that he does too. 
And that's my second love, man. But, you know, right after tennis, man. So we definitely got to hook up. Yeah, I'm going to get you on the court. I'm going to get you on the court and give you a lesson. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, All right. Hotel, I'll, y'all. Much, much love, and I'll be in touch. Much love. I, I thank you, Brother uh, T. Ray, for joining us and for sharing um, your experiences, your insight, and also your love and drive and passion for. Uh, this topic and for our people. Thank you. So, Tony, you gonna I'll stay with us for a little while? No, I have to go okay. to the group home. I got to go work at the group home at eight o'clock. Oh, okay. And so, but I really appreciate you guys having me. If if you want me back again, because I know I came in late, I'll be glad to come back next time, next Saturday, next whatever you have. Most definitely, um, we, we'll definitely have you throw out the flag um, to have you come and, and share and discuss with us. Um, this has been, for me, uh, this has been uh, electrifying. It's something that uh, we need to discuss and continue to yeah. talk about um, yeah. about our community and start um, awakening, awakening people to um, yeah. look at the world from a different perspective and know yeah. that it can be done. It takes work, but it still can be done. Yeah. Yeah. Our forefathers, our, our, our civil rights leaders who tried to pass the baton, um, someone else had to pick the baton up. People who had it, Jesse Jackson, and no, no, no knock against them, they carried it as far as they could carry it. It's somebody else's turn. Yeah, the baton is, it, the baton is, is it waiting to be, that's why we, we got stuck. We got stuck in, in 2000 and no civil rights stuff went forward because nobody carried the baton and, and moved the hard, hard needle of the of the meter to say, let's change something. I agree. Let's but we had to do things locally as well. That To me, that was more national, um, where mm-hmm. we didn't, to me, we didn't have our hubs locally in order to be consistent and be able to work yeah. together and know yeah. who's doing what and, and when everybody's moving, we all need to move precisely together, even though we may have, you know, different um, areas to target, but still to come cohesive and work together when needed, when we call to be there. Yeah, I I love that. See, that's collaboration. We can can agree or disagree, but we know we agree that one thing, that things have to change for us. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and use the word transform. Because we don't want no modified criminal justice system or anything modified no. that has a negative impact. That's why the word transformation is so powerful. And that's what you, we just experienced that tonight by sharing your transformation. You've inspired our listening audience. All of us have been inspired by your transformation and by you sharing your transformation. Yeah. Can, can I share some before I go? Sure. There can never be any transformation if we don't first seek isolation with our own self. We have to isolate our thoughts and our minds in a think tank and so that we can transform the spirit of change. We have to isolate ourselves. We have to separate ourselves from what is causing the problem in order to transform from the problem. That is so profound. Tony... I, you know, I'm going to have to say I'm proud of you. I know I'm, I'm not that much older than you, but maybe I am. 
but I am so proud of you and to have had the privilege of having you in my classroom and to see your development over the years. This is just thank uh, you. just so inspiring to me. And also, well, I, I really appreciate the work that you did with my son who played for your, your basketball team, who had a chance to have that experience and exposure to playing a game. Great kid. Great kid. Got a lot of, got a, got a heck of a gift. He got a heck of a gift, and he was, I'm sure he's enjoying his blessings now. Because once he he's found himself, he, he, he's he, an entrepreneur. He, he, yeah. He's an entrepreneur now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was in him. He just needed to be pushed out of him. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, God bless you guys. I, I, I thank you, and I'll come back again if you have me uh, anytime. Uh, uh, Doc, you can call me anytime. Okay, and, I will. And I'll come to Milwaukee. I'll, I'll try to get to more of your events and, and be a part of them. And now also the, the, the forum that we were talking about a couple years ago is now – uh, virtual, so you don't have to travel all the way to Chicago. So you could do it in the living room. Okay. Or your so I'll I'll share that information. With, so I'm still a program leader with with Landmark as well. So. Okay. Okay. God bless you. God bless. I bless you guys. I, I love you guys. Take care, and I think I love what you guys are doing. God bless you. Well, Baba Quojo uh, and Sister Fool, we have had a. Um, uh, an awakening and uh, both of our guests Terrence Ray and Tony Moore have um, really helped to bring home um, some aspects of the criminal justice system that I'm sure that many of us may not have been aware of but uh, as I listened and since our goal is talking about solutions um, there were some thoughts that crossed my mind, and I, I noticed that we often uh, seem to refer to seeking other people to solve the problem. And we've already indicated that it is not in the, in the interest of anybody but us, and it is within our power to make the necessary changes that will reduce the number of folks that are in the system in the first place. Uh, but uh, as we were challenged by uh, Tony Moore on uh, several occasions, that there actually are some ways that he pointed out uh, but without connecting the dots for us, and I hope I can connect some of those dots, um, we have the ability through our organizations, our churches, our fraternal organizations, who have the ability to take an interest and take on a felon and make them um, one of their foster children to make sure ensure that and that would be a cooperative uh, an agreement but that we have the ability to say I, I want to have someone who has been recently incarcerated 
I want to be able to reach out to them. I want to be able to know what's going on with you while you're in the prison. I want to make sure that you're getting an opportunity for, for some true education. I want to be able to help you toward what you will do after this period of time. And I want to be able to study your case. I think that we can begin to do some of that and it doesn't take a lawyer to read the material, to read the cases. So these are some things that we can begin to do uh, in, our, in our organizations to embrace those individuals who made some poor choices in many instances but did not deserve the punishment that has been rendered. And so I love that, that idea. is a challenge that I put to us. I love that idea. Actually, you said what, you, what you're saying is we should do the opposite of what we're doing right now because what we're doing right now is we're alienating those people. We're not embracing those people, those formerly incarcerated individuals. And... We need to do the opposite. We need to actually reach out and embrace them and have them uh, heal. And healing occurs through community. We, we would, normally we would have a station break at, uh, or, or a commercial at 7.30, and, and we missed that, um, that 7.30 break for the commercial. Is that still a possibility, Sister Auntie? Always a possibility. We must recognize our sponsor and our sponsor is eDoc Advice eDoc Advice is a website created to place to provide a place to go and get answers to your health or medical concerns are you wanting more options than you feel you are getting let eDoc Advice help you solve the problem Go to the website and ask your question. Their experienced professionals will help you to obtain the help to, to obtain the help you need that makes sense to you. Now they do not replace your health professionals or provide you care, but they can help you to become a better consumer so that you can get the best information to make a truly informed decision. They network with other professionals throughout the country and bring that information directly to you. That's EDOC Advice. E-D-O-C-A-D-V-I-C-E dot com. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Ante. Yeah, this, this conversation, uh, I would say probably needs to be, re you know, revisited. I know we, we're looking at disparities, uh, racial disparities, as they impact, uh, you know, the black community. And, of course, the criminal justice system is, uh, is a devastating system and has a very negative impact on our community. Not only is um, the incarceration impactful on the individual, but it's also impactful on families and the community because of the unintentional 
the unintentional consequences of incarceration. If we could turn that around, we could turn that around. Do we have Do we have any call-ins? Any Any Any, any Anybody in our listening audience who wants to uh, chime in? Um, before we do take a caller, I would like to um, say, um, Dr. James, I think you um, were definitely on point in your observation, in your observation of the discussion um, uh, or, or what you just identified uh, from the discussion that we had. Um, so I would love to have uh, to hear from the callers um, on their thoughts of this discussion. If you don't have a caller right right now, I'd like to um, make a comment if I could. Please do. Um, one of the uh, guests we had tonight mentioned that we the prison system is really based on slavery, and that fact is 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 actually true. When we look at the uh, the Constitution of the United States. The Amendment 13, which was ratified December the 6th, 1865, I happen to have it in front of me, it has two sections. The first says, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime, wherefore the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States or any place subject to the United States jurisdiction. Section 2 says Congress shall have the power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. These, This is on the part of the Constitution which America we live by that Congress legislates and maintains. So slavery is still on the books. And that yeah, is something that probably needs to be removed. If this is not a country that that um, is no longer doing slavery, then why is slavery still mentioned in our Constitution? Yes, we're still operating out of that, that plantation paradigm. There's a good book, if you haven't read it yet, uh, called uh, Slavery by Another, uh, Another Name by uh, the author is Blackman and you could probably go on YouTube also because I'm sure um, they've interviewed him many times about the book and you may even find a documentary that uh, that I saw is quite uh, involved in fact I used it in my course uh, economic and social change and uh, what was the other global economy culture and community and it it sheds light on what you just said that it's all about slavery it's based on the institution of slavery corrections is based on the institution of slavery and a good book is slavery by another name by black men you got to read it okay thank you and we must recognize that congress the people that we send to serve us is legislating has the power to enforce this article so if the name if the word needs to be removed we need to pressure them to remove this word 
and not yeah. change it to something else. <laughs> well, we, we still have what they call democracy, but, you know, when you bring in dark money and when you um, prevent people from exercising their right to vote, the democracy doesn't show up in reality like a democracy. Democracy should be, they should change that distinction to participatory democracy. Because if we don't participate, if you can't participate, then you're not going to have true democracy. It's got to be participatory. And we just have so much resignation, and now the Republican Conservative Party, they're trying to you know, constrain people's ability to exercise their right to vote. And of course, you know what Malcolm said, it's either the ballot or the bullet. And we don't want the bullet. So we got to find a way to exercise our right to vote, to transform this cruel criminal justice system and to turn it into real corrections. We're like Brother um, Terrence Ray was able to take advantage of opportunities. But not everyone, those opportunities are not available for everybody. And first of all, we need to help people to heal themselves, to get healed, to get the psychological treatment that they need. Because most of the people incarcerated are suffering from mental illness. Uh, we have a caller, and that caller is at 334-414-334-414. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, Dr. James. I'm just uh, tuning in, uh, uh, but um, I'm, I'm going to just listen on for the rest of the, uh, uh, the time. Well, thank you for being there. We really appreciate yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry I tuned in late, but... Um, have forgotten about you though. Wonderful. Thank you. Glad to have you, um, Brother Culture. I, as you um, brought up um, the quote from uh, I dear, I call him Baba Malcolm X. Um, Baba Malcolm X. Yes, um, I, I call him that because he taught. Um, we learned so much, and he and he shared and taught us so much. Um, and when you talk about when you said. Um, about the bullet um in so many ways we are taking the bullet we're getting we're taking the bullet from uh all the deaths through law enforcement we're taking the bullet um due to uh the lack of self-love um within our community and among our people um so we we are we are definitely uh at in this time and age where we are um we are definitely taking the bullet so it already is about the bullet. Mm-hmm. I, I say so. I, I see it um, from that perspective. Um, just well, too you many know, lies. Oh. Malcolm said something else you may recall, another quote that he said. He said, the worst thing, he said, killing a man is not the worst thing you can do to a man. But teaching him to hate himself so he kills himself is even worse than killing a man. Teaching him, teaching him to hate himself so that he kills him. And see, that's where we are right now. That's where the bullet is coming into play. Yes, yes. 
I think we've seen something very significant take place in this past week, and and some will consider the comments uh, controversial. But uh, and I'm in Chicago right now, and there's been a lot of conversation regarding the manner in which Jesse Smollett uh, and his uh, issue has been handled. Uh, but I think that from the standpoint of the earlier comment that I made in terms of we making um, ourselves heard in terms of how our people are going to be taken care of um, despite the, their poor judgment. And many of this is a, a function of some poor judgment. Some of it is mental illness, that is true. But yet these are our families. These are uh, people who have children who are going to be forever impacted by their parent being incarcerated. So we're going to have to speak out uh, regarding sentences. Uh, we have to show an interest. We cannot just abandon them because this is my son. These are my son's friends. Um, I can't afford to be silent and nor can any of us in our community be silent on these issues. But we have an ability individually as well as with our organizations to take a stand and, it, and it's a stand to to protect, to protect and see that our folks get what is in their best interests. Yeah, a lot of people are amazed to, to find out that crime in America is um, being done by both black people, white people at the same rate. A lot of people think that black people are committing more crime. That's why we show up. Uh, as you know, overrepresented inside of the criminal justice system in the prisons, but uh, research shows by self-report that people are committing crime at the same rate. But we show up uh, overrepresented in that system because of of uh, systemic racism. Now, when I looked at the definition of systemic, because I was trying to refresh my recollection. Of the of the concept of you know of the linguistic distinction. Guess what I found? Systemic shows up most often inside of the medical profession. And and uh, Dr. James, I'm sure you can attest to that. The word systemic is most often applied in medical situations. Yes. And if you can, you know, make that analogy to what's happening, you know, with respect to crime, like you were saying, it is all pervasive. And it affects us in so many different ways. I, I would suspect that there are many of those who've been incarcerated, who are currently incarcerated, who are asking themselves, how did I get here? How 
how is this affecting me? How has this affected my family? And many times these are actions that um, as a result of impulse and lack of impulse control. And what I found out as a practitioner in, uh, in mediation, and then I began to use those skills in violence prevention, what I'm finding out um, when I was training like mediation programs in, in public schools, that if people knew a better way to resolve their disputes and conflicts, they would use it. It's just a matter of education. What we do, and then when I say we, I'm speaking in terms of, you know, what normally happens in our community is uh, there's a norm of how we supposed to handle our business. And actually, two days ago, I was walking up Center Street. I was trying to get my two miles in at a time when Washington High School had just let out. And these young people were congregating around the store on 44th or 45th and Center. And then they began to move toward me. And uh, all of a sudden, I felt something was going to happen. And right in front of me, right at my feet, this young lady is on the ground, and this girl is trying to, you know, she's kicking her. And I was just hoping she didn't get kicked in the face. But I, right away, I, I, I stopped the fight. And, um, and I was trying to, you know, counsel these young people. But nobody was interested in listening. All they were concerned about was retaliation. And that happens all the time. You have violence. And then retaliation. Brother, brother, brother Kojo, this is uh, fascinating to move on to our next conversation around racial discrimination, racial disparities, but it's time to close out. It's 758. I think you're right. <laughs> so, but thank you for. You know, dancing in this conversation, we we had uh, some wonderful guests, and everybody got a chance to express themselves. I think that was great. I, I um, feel that this was a a great night of discussion uh, and an opportunity to open up um, for more. I would love to. Um, as we continue these discussions to hear from our listeners and their experiences and what they've seen and the changes and how they've worked to resolve some of the, the issues in their community or personally um, from their own life. Brother Cole, you want to thank us for coming? Yeah, I'm looking my my PowerPoint just went away. But anyway, I could just I could just um, do it off the top of my head. Thank you, listening audience, for being with us and joining in this discussion. And thank you for 
thank you the the people behind the scenes including dr rogers and his crew for putting together this production and also our co-host sister Fua and uh dr james and also uh, dr i mean dr uh i'm a, a search auntie so at this time we're going to close out I'd like to take time out now and really thank the Creator this evening for allowing us to travel all over the ocean and come back and meet my homeboy again. How about a hand for Oliver Nelson? Oliver Nelson! Hey, that's us. Oliver and I go all the way back. Well, not that far back, but when I was in high school, Oliver Nelson. Oliver Nelson. And on Kunga, I put a hand for Sonny Morgan. Sonny Morgan. And we'd like to thank the creator for Brother Lex Humphreys on drum. How about a hand for Lex? Lex Humphreys. Thank the creator. And we come over here and meet one of the greatest. Berlin won't have a wall much longer if Gunther keeps doing what he's doing. Gunther Lenz, break down all the walls. Gunther Lenz, on base. And his quality is even more than his name. Arthur Sterling. How about I have Arthur Sterling on piano? Yeah, 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 and each man knew his word In my heart how I yearn For the Spirit's return And I cry As time Flies And rainbows are the shadows of a love that's so divine. And the glow of that love will light the sky up above and it's free. Can't you see? Come with me. The Creator has a master plan. Peace and happiness for every man. 
Peace and happiness through all 